Hello and welcome to the Building Your Path podcast. This podcast records the stories of those who have achieved their own form of success in their respective fields. Today we have Mr. Jim Cardinal, the principal of La Cunata High School. Please enjoy. Thank you very much, Mr. Cardinal, for meeting for me today. Um, and so how would you describe your job? So my name is Jim Cartnell and I'm the La Cunata High School principal and that's a great, great job to have. It's an honor to be here to work with students and their parents and the teachers and the support staff. Uh, my job as a comprehensive high school principal entails a whole bunch of different things. I guess firstly I would say that uh, my highest bar responsibility is to the safety and security of our students and that's just not in terms of physical safety but also of course of emotional safety to ensure that they're making adequate progress towards getting a high school diploma, uh, supporting their post high school plans, and also then working in support of teachers and support staff so we can work with our customers, the kids. And so what is your personal definition of success? You know, I, I as the leader of our Challenge Success Initiatives and that program that we've partnered with now for four years, um, I have marveled at how the community has wrestled with success. And if I had to add my own definition, I would say to be a successful person is to follow what one believes is going to make an important contribution to the world, to surround oneself with family and friends that make life rich and worth living, to give yourself to things that you believe deeply in, and hopefully those things are that which tries to make the world or some small slice of it like La Cunata better. And so you deal with high school students every day. How about we go back to your high school? Did you know what you were going to be doing in your career? Yeah, I'm a pretty lucky guy in so far as I've always loved school. And I guess if I were to hold a mirror up to myself, I never really left it. You know, making a career as an educator, both as a teacher for 14 years and now this is my eighth year as being an administrator. So I did always have a plan that I wanted to teach. For me, it wasn't clear whether I wanted to be a high school teacher or a university teacher. Uh, or even a, um, a grade school teacher, I, I went to graduate school with the idea that I wanted to pursue a professorship. And here, along that way, I found a place called La Cunata where I could teach pretty much college-level classes to a bunch of great kids. So throughout your high school career, you had a general idea of what you were going to do. What was maybe your college application process? Gosh, the day that, you know, it's such a different time. Um, I graduated high school in 1985, and so that is for many kids like ancient Rome or, you know, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. So at that time, my family did not spend too terribly much time on college. I ended up visiting, I think, Cal State Fullerton, UC Irvine, and I guess I'd been at UCLA because my cousin went there. I applied to UC Irvine, I got into UC Irvine, and that's where I went. But that was such a different time. I had like a I know students are always shocked to hear this, but I had like a 3.2 in high school. So it wasn't like, you know, I lit the world on fire. I did okay in classes, but not nearly what locking out high school kids do. What was something that you struggled with in high school? I think I had a group of friends that I was with, you know, since really second grade, coming all the way up. And in my junior year, I, I, didn't leave that group, but I integrated myself into another group of kids who were very different than the people that I knew the whole time. And that led me to make some choices that when I look back on, I kind of, I won't say regret. Um, those were all wonderful people that I hung out with, but 
but it took me to some places that I'm not sure were the best for me. And so, you know, my senior year kind of coming back to try to be, you know, serious about school again and looking at college and figuring out what I wanted to do, that was, that definitely needed some. Uh, that I fell in love, of course, helped. So during high school, when you were going through these, I guess, the shift of friendships, do you believe that you benefited from going through this? Oh, very much so, very much so. Um, not only did I meet a you know, whole new group of really terrific people, I got to learn about some different things. Those guys were particularly into cars, and I didn't really know that much about cars, so I got, you know, uh, kind of picked up that whole skill set, really had fun with them, kept in contact with the people that I'd always been friends with, and, and uh, very much that, that still today, you know, fills me up f fond memories of thinking about the times with, you know, these whole group of well, widespread people that I, I met in high school. That was cool. Town success is very much about the balance of life and how a lot of things affect the students' mental health, as you said. For sure. You're discussing about protecting the students not only from physically but from their mental health. During your high school career, do you think that there were any programs like this or anything at all that maybe tried to assist you? I don't think there probably were, and certainly it wasn't on my, you know, kind of awareness, my level of awareness if, if they were around, because I didn't think, I don't think they were needed. I think that the world that I went to college in and went to high school in was, it was, you know, filled with whatever challenges, um, you know, we had then, but I think the world has changed. You hear that often in the news that the world has changed, but I think what has changed is how competitive colleges have become how the economy has changed and so you know jobs of the future are changing all the time and it's difficult to be a young person now because of the pressures that they feel and the reality that when we're thinking about college admissions um, or the application process you know I was really only if you were competing against California kids now it's a global audience and that just makes things much more difficult and I think has put a lot more pressure on on um, kids are in high school right now. Do you think it's better to have um, a set plan during high school or do you think it's better to feel it out for yourself and see where you belong? You know as I, I think more and more about what are some really kind of essence of a high school experience I, I think having a plan is a good idea I don't think it's necessary I think as you said kind of feeling things out as one goes along I think shows a flexibility of approach that I think is also helpful in the world. You know, I, I, when, I, when I spoke to the ninth graders right you know, before they started school, we did an orientation, and I made mention of this fact that I, I, don't, think, I don't think is often said here in La Cunada, and that is high school is no one's end goal. It is a station of life through which one goes, hopefully, um, you know, discovering things about yourself as you uh, mature and grow older, getting ready to perhaps move away from home and a group of friends that you may have had for a very, very long time into um, a world that is different than mandated schooling. And so I think, you know, so long as folks are keeping an open mind, they're not putting all this idea that I have to be perfect in high school you know that high school is not is not at all about one's GPA or about where you get into college. It's about developing work habits and setting yourselves up to 
go and live a life that's filled with joy and is rewarding and is fulfilling, however the individual defines that. Some, and, and I'm an educator, so I, I don't think any of LCHS students are surprised to hear me, of all people, say this. I want you to continue your education because I believe that that can add dimensions and quality to one's life. It shapes the heart and the mind in addition to the soul. But if that's not the thing for you, take time off, travel, work, maybe come back to education because life is about living and it's long, hopefully, for us. And you get a chance to do things that are really, really brilliant and, and fulfilling. And that's what I want our kids to know, that it's not just about you know, getting a slip of paper in the mail or checking online where you got into college. That's just the start of your journey. It's not the end. Did you go to high school and like your elementary school, did you go through the education system inside of California? I did, yeah. I was raised in the San Gabriel Valley in the city of Covina. So I graduated Covina High. Go Colts! Um, in 1985, like I said, and I went to elementary and middle school right, right at the, you know, next to one another basically. And so you were saying how you only competed essentially with California students. So during the application process, it was merely you, your peers, and everyone else in California competing versus, as you say, today, the global stage. I feel that that's the case, you know, that it wasn't difficult to get into UC Irvine. And now when I tell students, you know, that I went to UC Irvine, um, you know, here in my, you know, either classroom in La Cunada or now as the principal, you know, kids look at me and say, oh my gosh, it's a top 25 public institution in the world and they have four Nobel laureates. And I, I nod and I smile and you just say, yeah, but I went in the 80s. It, think of it like going to Nevada and then someone's waving you across the border to go gamble in Las Vegas. It wasn't hard to get into. It was approachable. It was accessible. You didn't have to do all the things that I see our students doing now about hiring private college counselors, taking the SAT, uh, Spartans. This is Mr. Cartmill. I have a confession I want to make to you. I don't say this very often, but I scored less than 1050 on the SAT. Don't judge me, but I did. <laughs> and do you, how do you think that this new system has affected students in the way that they approach college and their schooling in general? I think that a, a, in an aspirational community, like La Cunada, by which I mean, you know, students want to continue their education and education matters. It matters to families, it matters to kids, it matters to educators. School's a big deal in La Cunada, and I, for one, am lucky to be associated with the schools. I think that that creates a sense of pressure on our students. Um, and it happens in a couple of different forms, uh, it, you know, where there's a legacy situation where maybe grandma and grandpa have gone to you know, fill in the blank, right? USC or UCLA, and then mom and dad maybe went there. The reality is, you know, your parents, even if they're not my age, they went in, in a time where, you know, USC was easier to get into than it is now. They went to UCLA at a time when it was much more accessible and easier to get into than now. Uh, I'm not saying that it was a cakewalk. Those are always been, you know, very, very good schools. But this different landscape has created a new element of our students to um, you know, to, to, to face. And it's difficult because of, as I said, global competition. I think the ease with which one can, you know, click buttons to apply to a whole bunch of different schools. I mean, when I applied to the University of California, you had to fill out a dedicated application for each school. It wasn't just $55 a click. And so, therefore, the numbers weren't what the numbers are now. And at some point, you just be it becomes a math game of, 
you know, when there's 120 application, 120,000 applications at, you know, this public school or whatever the number is, their admissions rates are not going up. So students need to be looking at a whole set of factors that I never had to look at. In college, do you feel that your mindset switched at all in terms of viewing schooling in your career and because a lot of students believe that they see college as the end goal. They see it as, I'll get to college, everything will be better, everything will be great. And if they get into that extremely hard to get into school, everything will be perfect. What would be your take on that? Well, I, I want our students to apply, you know, diversely. I want our students to get away from applying only or solely to the 40 to 80 most selective schools. I want to promote everywhere I can with this podcast, in our counseling curriculum and meetings with parents and meetings with staff. Uh, I want to promote fit over fame. There are schools out there our students perhaps have never heard of that would be great, great places for them and would fill them up with a whole bunch of different, you know, experiences that would be um, just wonderful. So uh, I want our students to, to engage in that serious research, find those best fit schools and apply to them knowing I think that the world has become such to where the bachelor's degree is no longer the end degree, but that you know your age cohort students, the students that are presently at La Cunata, will continue to you know, get professional degrees and certifications of achievement across their lifetime, across their professional lifetime. And so I want everyone to keep that in mind, that where you go to undergraduate is hardly what defines you. Of course, it's gonna be meaningful. It might be a place where you meet a spouse or a lifelong friend, a best friend, um, you know, so, you know, keep in mind that it's not just about the academics at high school, but rather, I'm sorry, about at college, but also about the social, the emotional, um, the cultural experience that it affords. We keep hearing this word of balance in everything that we do, balance in our schooling, balance in our social lives. What would be your, I guess, definition of balance? How do you see, how do you want students to approach balancing their lives? I'm glad that you've asked that. And I think if every individual is asking that, how do I achieve balance in my life, that's the beginning. And I think if the individual is willing to acknowledge that sometimes the demands upon us make it difficult to find balance, we at least can share in our common humanity and the struggle to, to achieve that. Perhaps like all things that are balanced for skateboarders out there or surfers or even you know, bicyclists, you know that balance always has to be adjusted, always has to be you know, rebalanced and that you know, when we fall off the skateboard or the surfboard or whatever it is that we're balancing on, uh, we need to get back on and attain a new level or a new degree of balance. And so I guess I, it's, not, it's not a static, you know, I am balanced and I will be forever more balanced, but it's one of these continual things that needs a, a attention. And I think that we have to be mindful about it, protecting you know, time for family, pr protecting downtime that allows us to feed our souls and fill, fill ourselves up so we have the ability to give again. Uh, and and being, being really, really clear, but there are things in life that are deeply, deeply worth engaging in and people engaging with that makes life so rich. So the Cardinal family tries to eat dinner together every night, even when long days happen. Um, try to get out for runs try to you know meet friends I'm not doing too good on that front right now just because of how busy the start of school year has been but I'll get after it as the holidays come and you know we get always a chance to rebalance and I want our, our Spartans to know that 
that's, that's going to be an important thing for their life, to just keep working at it. Have there any been any hard points in your life where you really felt like in your career or anything you were pursuing in general that you just felt like you just could not do it anymore? I'm an optimistic person and I have, I, I feel like I've been, been given or been blessed with a, uh, an optimistic disposition. There have been times in my administrative career where I, I've, you know, I've, I've not lamented, but I, I certainly have <clears throat> sought out the counsel of the people that I, I trust and I look to to ask them about how to proceed through very difficult times. Uh, and I think through those relationships I find both wisdom and strength to to push through and to carry on, um, you know, without bringing up bad memories. We, uh, we had a, a, a student who um, was my former student when I was still a classroom teacher as I made the transition to administration who lost his life here on campus. And that was very, very hard. And, um, you know, recognizing that there were kids and staff members that were equally struggling to stay true to, you know, the, the call of leadership um, to create support systems for them and then to access those support systems for myself because I was definitely hurting and finding ways to to find joy in, in school again after that terrible, terrible event happened back in 2013. Speak of these, these situations, everyone deals with these horrendous things that happen in our lives. What would be your advice to someone who's maybe going through something like this right now? Such a great question that no matter how alone you feel, there are people that love you and care, that you've got a team of people here at LCHS that want what's right and want what's good and want to help, even if sometimes it doesn't seem that way. Your teachers care about you, your parents care about you, your neighbors care about you, your friends care about you, and anyone feeling that they are alone, if they would somehow be able, if in the smallest way, find the strength, find the bravery to just say, I'm struggling. And with that, we can help support and not make things better, but help give strategies and help give, you know, the ability for people to get through those hard times, which life inevitably throws at us. Um, you know, for our students right now who, you know, I know how ridiculous the idea is, 10 years from now will be parents and you're facing an illness in your first or you know, one of your children, I mean, there's no training for that. So you really have to rely on the people around you and remember even in the dark times that people care, that you matter. You're speaking a lot about hardships and a lot of the times, majority of people find their hardships usually actually from the end of their high school into their early college years because it's the first time they're experiencing these things. And so during college, what were maybe some things like specifically in your academic career that you could maybe remark on some hard times and how you got through those? Yeah, I, I had the uh, pleasure of um, studying at the um, George August University in Göttingen, Germany during my fourth year at UC Irvine. And I lived in Germany for an entire year and um, enrolled in the university and took classes in German. and. Uh, that was a very different educational circumstance and I was struggling with the language a little bit and one of the things that was really um, hard was I actually failed a class. It's the only real experience in my life that I 
had not been successfully not been successful academically. I, in fact, I, if there's anything that gave me confidence that I could be a good teacher was that I felt I was good at school. Not necessarily that that is, you know, one has to be good at school to be a good teacher, but that was a kind of core pillar of my being and to fail a class, I mean, to like outright, I got an F and it appeared on my transcript and I was at college and I thought, oh my gosh, uh, you know, I, I don't know, will I be able to be a teacher if I got an F? Will I be able to get a degree? And you know what I realized? I haven't thought about that probably in 25 years until you just asked me because that finally didn't matter. I mean, of course, you don't want to go out and fail a bunch of classes. It was a terrific learning experience because I realized in that moment that how to avoid that F is I needed to speak way more with my teachers and I needed to be much more aware of a different educational culture and environment. And that's to say that German students fail classes all the time. That, that, that was a no big deal thing to a German university student, you just take the class again or you take other classes and kind of that's how their degrees um, you know, um, are, are, are earned. Uh, but that for an American student was, you know, I felt like a, a black strike against me that I would never overcome and that simply wasn't true. That just simply wasn't true. I moved on from that and my professors back at Servine understood when I explained a little bit about what happened, I showed them my work and we both agreed that it wasn't my best effort and I was struggling with the language to be sure. Um, but it all ended up working out in a way that that's just has zero impact on my life now. I, like I said, I hadn't even thought about that in a long while. Uh, did you speak German before moving to Germany? No, well, I, as part of the UC um, undergraduate general education requirements, you had a choice to kind of take some of these, you know, general ed classes and because I had taken German in high school, I thought it would be an easy A. Um, none of the student, students, as I'm, as I'm saying, is, is the perhaps right way to go about it, but I did. And so I had two years of German under my belt, by the way, which I did not get good grades in at UC Irvine. I think I was a, a B minus C plus student in those classes. And then lo and behold, I was you know, in the German university system. And I remember struggling with this phrase the professors always used, spoke about den Vereinigten Staaten. And I, I didn't even know what that was. The United States, of course. You think I would know as an American what the German phrase for the United States was. That's how kind of you know, weak my German was. So I, but I, I worked at it, it got a lot better. I actually went, to went back after I got my degree and worked for about a year in Germany where the sole focus of my time there was to improve my German. And yeah, there was a time where I was, yeah, I was almost as, I was almost as fluent in German as I was in English. By which I mean, I, I could tell jokes, I could be witty, I could you know, turn a phrase, I could talk about politics and all the things that are so difficult to talk about if you just have a surface level, you know, God and love and morality and truth and all these other things, so. So you went to Irvine, did the four years at Irvine, one year you said at this German university. You came back and then, uh, what then? What was maybe your first job? Because I, I, I had such a life-changing experience um, on this study abroad program, I wanted to come back and give back to kids um, and really promote this program. So I ended up working for three years actually at the at UC Irvine as a staff member in the study abroad department where I was a, a counselor for the program and would do you know, presentations to groups of students, uh, would organize their applications, would work with the central office at uh, UC Santa Barbara, as it turns out, that organized the whole um, education abroad program. And then we'd send students the world over and then support them while they were away and 
work with them you know, upon their return to ensure transfer of credits and all of that. Uh, and so that was three years and then I realized I still felt the call of wanting to go to grad school and you know, teach at some point. And um, I got married in 1996 and a week after we got back from our honeymoon, I moved to San Francisco to start my graduate program. And I went to San Francisco State and got my master's in American history and my teaching credential and then started my, my teaching career shortly shortly thereafter. What was the process from, for applying to grad school then? Yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting one because I had to go and find a bunch of letters of recommendation from people that I was really kept a lost touch with because I'd been working for so long and, you know, living basically for about four or five years, just not really having any contact with classrooms. But, but the people remembered me. Uh, I applied um, near and far to, to California and decided that I had always wanted to live in San Francisco and it was, you know, um, uh, something that I could afford because I was out on my own and paying for this, you know, on my own and, um, and I, you know, just went for it um, with my wife and she got a great job at a, a public TV station in San Francisco or a, a, a group that was working with public TV at the time and so our daughter was born and it's home away from home. And you were telling me earlier about the, the first teaching experience that you've had, right next to the Golden Gate Bridge, correct? I did, yeah. Um, so when I was in graduate school, I was working as a substitute teacher in the city of San Francisco. And so, uh, you know, they have a large urban school district that, you know, is pretty widespread, although San Francisco is kind of condensed on that, you know, point where it's located. But my first teaching job was actually out on Treasure Island. So that's the Golden, uh, not the Golden Gate, but rather the uh, Oakland Bay Bridge Halfway in the middle, there's an island, and it was a former Navy uh, uh, naval station. And there's an elementary school out there, and so I worked out there for quite a lot. Maybe I was one of the few people in San Francisco that had a car that could easily get out there, and so I took jobs all the time. It was great, beautiful, beautiful being out in the point of the bay through all kinds of weather, fog and rain and cold and sun, and really great to drive home and to see the city framed as it was as I was returning. And you were saying how your uh, daughter was born in San Francisco. Yeah, my, my daughter is a, a first-year college freshman born in the city of San Francisco. And on her first day, I uh, remembered looking out from our hospital room and seeing a, what looked like a th cathedral and realizing that that was the University of San Francisco. And that's where she's attending. So full circle, mm -hmm. full circle. What, so you were living in San Francisco at the time. What drove you to come to Lockheed Yeah, thanks for that. So the first dot-com boom um, occurred right in the, uh, you know, at the start of the, the century, 2000, 2001, and property values in San Francisco just went through the roof. And, you know, we just had a, a baby and, you know, we wanted to be near family and the whole idea about buying a, um, a home in San Francisco on a teacher's salary um, was impossible. And so I actually, we ended up moving back my wife is from La Crescenta, so we ended up moving somewhat near my, my wife's family, my mother-in-law, and she was a primary daycare provider, and I started teaching at Pasadena High School for two years. Um, and then um, the person that oversaw curriculum at Pasadena came to La Cunata and then brought Mr. Yoder and myself over. We were teaching colleagues in social science over in Pasadena. And the rest is history. I found a home here, and I hope to stay a career. This is a great place. 
So well, when was your transition from teacher to administrator? Yeah, I, I taught for nine years um, from 2003 to the 2012-13 school year and became uh, an administrator in that in that next year and really was, you know, wanting to help improve all the things at La Cunada that are, you know, so important. The experience of students, the, you know, effectiveness of administration, the clarity of policies and procedures, the work with parents um, to make the school just continue to be um, great and awesome for kids. How has been your experience as administrator so far? Do you prefer it over teaching, maybe equal to? Every day I miss the classroom and um, would hope at some point that there, there may be a way that administration has the ability to teach a class, at least one. So, you know, what we're talking about with the staff as it regards professional development and strategies is not something that we're just talking about what we're actually doing too. Now, there aren't many public school, high school principals that actually teach. That's much more of a private school model. But the reason why, in my mind, that's not, you know, a crazy idea in La Cunada is, you know, our school is a public school, but it sometimes behaves like a private school. Um, you know, um, so I miss the classroom every day. Um, I'm lucky and honored to be doing this work because there's a lot of, uh, you know, opportunity to, like I said, you know, clarify policies, support folks, um, work with student groups, um, develop programs like Challenge Success and help bring about initiatives like the Wellness Center and the Late Start Initiative and, you know, the promotion of campus culture and a climate of care and all those things that mean a lot to me and so while I felt I had the ability to influence 180 students or however many were in my classroom each year you know which over nine years was you know well over a thousand I would like to think that perhaps more indirectly the office of the principalship allows the um, you know me the chance along with Mrs. Calvin and Mr. Ito to you know really bring about an improvement through the clarification of all of this you know policies and better communication and all of that for all kids, uh, 9, 12, all 1,400 of them every year. So that experiment still, you know, the it is still an experiment. You know, we still have a lot of work to, to do, and but I'm lucky to be, be given the opportunity to do it. And so this idea of town success, the organization, everything, when did you first learn about it? When did it first come to the school? I think through the leadership of our uh, um, superintendent, Ms. Zanette, and our associate superintendent, Mrs. Wen, who were looking for a research-based program that addressed um, student engagement and student wellness. And so it was in the 2016-17 school year that we gave first the Challenge Success um, Survey um, to our students to kind of really get some insights into what their school experience was like here in La Cunada. How much were they were sleeping? How much balance were they achieving? What about you know their attitudes about you know learning versus getting grades and and all the things that those you know those surveys asked and what we got back from that was um, a, a startling report to be candid a startling report that that demonstrated that um, though La Cunada kids uh, achieve academically at remarkable rates are gifted um, academically that this school has some really, really tough parts about it, right? That students weren't sleeping nearly enough, that students felt like they had to give up things about which they were genuinely passionate and cared deeply just to fit it all in, 
that there was a sense of competition, that there wasn't a focus on learning, but rather just getting grades, and in some cases, grades at all costs, and that, and that, you know, the price of that stress and strain was also bringing about some students engaging in um, practices that were not, you know, thriving practices, but rather harmful practices as regards experimentations with drugs and alcohol. And so the whole journey about, you know, trying to implement both large and small initiatives and under the umbrella of child success has been to try and bring balance, since it's been a focus of our conversation, to students' experience um, here at school, both academically and um, the promo through the promotion of, you know, wellness initiatives and mindfulness routines and breathing strategies and whatever whatever resonates with the individual to try and understand that the world's changed, the kids have a lot going on, and we need to do this for you all. Why do you believe that our school in specific is really experiencing these effects? Because you said like, and a lot of the times, our school does share similarities with private schools. How yeah. do you think that all just... I, I think that, you know, every every school has its unique culture, and locking out is no different in that. And, um, you know, there are things that we could all celebrate from being in a small town, one public high school and all of that. But I think what, what challenged success um, as a research program out of the Department Ed, uh, you know, up at Stanford looks at is the experience of high-performing, most typically affluent suburban schools. And whether we're talking about Palos Verdes or Palo Alto or San Marino or South Pass or La Cunada, there are kind of common attributes of student experience at those kinds of schools that are different than, let's say, the experience of students who are coming from communities where perhaps, um, you know, a larger percentage of people are living in poverty, a larger percentage of people are, um, in, you know, uh, of immigrant families, um, direct immigrant families who perhaps don't speak English at home. Um, so, so what we're focused on is, you know, trying to understand the, the experience of students in this particular, you know, culture and context. And while we have the ability to learn from those other schools, it's particularly helpful when we talk to schools that are like ourselves. What do you see for the future of child success in this school? Well, we've got a couple initiatives this year that we're really excited about, the first of which, or the first two of which are um, review committees around bell schedule and um, re-examining the you know, purpose of weighted grades here at La Cunada, and we've not decided the outcomes of those by any stretch of the imagination. We've invited parents and students and staff to apply. And so we'll end up looking about uh, at our bell schedule to see if you know, there would be a recommendation that the committee can make about the different use of time, right? Time is just a construct. Because we have the schedule that we have doesn't mean we always have to have the schedule we have. We may choose to keep the schedule we have and maybe tweak it slightly or you know, adjust things like when lunch takes place. Uh, the issue about the weighted grades and the possibility of, um, you know, putting some formal um, defined cap on honors advanced and advanced placement classes is to try and, you know, for our students, um, define what the most rigorous course load is because right now many of our students take the attitude, and I've heard them say this to me in any number of ways, well, there are six classes, so I'm going to try to take as many, you know, five or six honors or advanced or AP classes at the time. And, and that is just a really difficult load to, to manage. Uh, certainly a much, much bigger load than one would ever have at one's undergraduate experience, where a typical course load is three or four classes that don't meet every day, that have all this outside of time you know, preparation. 
but we meet every day, and so students are under the burdens of that. Beyond those two committees, uh, we're looking forward to students leading um, a panel discussion that we hope a lot of parents are going to come out to, to view uh, about what we wish, what students wish their parents knew about their school experience. And so that's going to be coming in January, February, and the Challenge Success team is looking, working on that. And we have also, you know, the opportunity to um, continue to refine homework policies to make sure the classes are um, adhering to, you know, the broad outlines of 30 minutes of homework, uh, up to 30 minutes of homework each evening for a college preparatory class, up to 45 minutes for honors and advanced classes, and up to 60 minutes for advanced placement classes so that students can achieve that balance that we all recognize is difficult to do. For your closing remarks, what would be maybe one incredibly important piece of advice that you would want somebody to take away from this? Yeah, I'm grateful for the question. Uh, I want students to take away from listening to these remarks that we don't have to be perfect in high school or in life, that one's effort really, really matters, and that valuing people and building meaningful relationships are so vital and important to life and I want them to know that it's going to work out fine getting out of La Cunada to school to come maybe back to La Cunada or live wherever you're gonna in your you know bright bright futures it's all going to work out fine just trust in yourself do the very best you can and good things are going to happen Fantastic. Thank you so much, Mr. Cardinal. I truly appreciate you putting in the time to do things like this. Fantastic. It's been my honor. Thanks a lot.